ವಾಸುದೇವಾಯ ಭಗವತೆ ವಾಸುದೇವಾಯ ನಮೋ ಭಗವತೆ ವಾಸುದೇವಾಯ ಶ್ರೀಮದ್ ಭಾಗವತಂ ಕ್ಯಾಂಟೋ ಟೆನ್ ಚಾಪ್ಟರ್ ಥರ್ಟಿ ಒನ್ ಟೆಕ್ಸ್ಟ್ ನೈನ್ ತವ ಕಥಾಮೃತ ತಪ್ತ ಜೀವನ ಕವಿಭಿರೀಡಿತ ಕಲ್ಮಶಾಪಹ ಶ್ರವಣಮಂಗಲ ಶ್ರೀಮದಾತ ಗೃಣಂತಿಯೇ ಭೂರಿ ದಾಜನ ತವ ಕಥಾಮೃತ ತಪ್ತ ಜೀವನ ಕವಿಭಿರೀಡಿತ ಕಲ್ಮಶಾಪಹ ಶ್ರವಣಮಂಗಲ ಶ್ರೀಮದಾತ ಭುವಿ ಗೃಣಂತಿಯೇ ಭೂರಿ ದಾಜನ ತವ ಕಥಾಮೃತ ತಪ್ತ ಜೀವನ ಕವಿಭಿರೀಡಿತ ಕಲ್ಮಶಾಪಹ ಶ್ರವಣಮಂಗಲ ಶ್ರೀಮದಾತ ಭುವಿ ಗೃಣಂತಿಯೇ ಭೂರಿ ದಾಜನ 
Life for those aggrieved in the material world. Kavibhi by great thinkers. Iditam described. Kalmash apaham 
that which drives away sinful reactions. Shravana Mangalam Giving spiritual benefit when heard. Shreemat Filled with spiritual power. Atatam Broadcast all over the world. Bhuvi in the material world. Grunanti Chant and spread. Ye those who Bhuridaha most beneficent. Janaha persons. Translation and purport by the followers of Srila Prabhupada. Translation The nectar of your words and the description of your activities are the life and soul of those suffering in the material world. These narrations, transmitted by learned sages, eradicate one's sinful reactions and bestow good fortune upon whoever hears them. These narrations are broadcast all over the world and are filled with spiritual power. Certainly, those who spread the message of Godhead are most munificent. Purport. King Prataparudra recited this verse to Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu during Lord Jagannath's Rathayatra festival. While the Lord was resting in a garden, King Prataparudra humbly entered and began massaging his legs and lotus feet. Then the king recited the 31st chapter of the 10th canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, the song of, songs of the gopis. The Chaitanya Charitamrath relates that when, the, when Lord Chaitanya heard this verse, beginning Tamakathamrata, he immediately arose in ecstatic love and embraced King Prataparudra. And in his addition, this incident is described in detail in the Chaitanya Charitamrath, Madhya 14.4.18. And in his addition, Srila Prabhupada has given extensive commentary on it. Om Gyanatimirandhasya Gyananjana Shalakaya Chakshurun Militam Yena Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha Namaha Om Vishnupadaya Krishna Prishthaya Bhutale Shri Mate Bhakti Vedanta Swami Itinamine Namaste Saraswati Devi Gauravani Pracharine Nirvishesha Shunyavadi Paschatya Deshatarine, Vancha Kalpataru Vesture, Kripas in Dhupya Evacha, Patitanam Pavanibio, Vaishnavibio Namona Maha, Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya, Prabhu Nityananda, Shri Advaita Gadadhara, Shri Vasadi Gaurabhakta Brinda, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. Krishna Krishna Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare 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 Krishna So today we are assembled on the occasion of Srila Prabhupada's disappearance day and this verse which is in the most esoteric and lofty section of the Bhagavatam Paradoxically, also describes Shri Prabhupada's mood and mission. So, contextually, this is in the Gopi Gita, the 
the prasa panchadhyay is like a five part five act play in the first act gopis are called by krishna the second act gopis have a discussion with krishna and they are about to dance but then krishna disappears from them and they search frantically for him in the third act the gopis sit around the banks of the jamuna the place where they have had most intimate and sweet pastimes with krishna and they fervently call out to him and their outpouring of the desolate heart shattered by separation from krishna is the gopi geet and this causes krishna to appear in the next chapter and then they have loving discussions about the nature of love and in the last chapter the gopis perform the rasa dance with krishna so in the gopi geet which is one of the sweetest uh, poetic narrations in the bhakti tradition and certainly in the bhagavatam these each of these verses is actually spoken by one one gopi and that's why it's a collective gopya uchu at the start and each verse while it is saying seem to be seeming to say various things each verse is actually a call to krishna please come back so for example the first verse is jayati te dikam janmana vraja shrayat indira shashvadatrahi daita drishyatam dikshutavakas traidata sabastvam vichinvate so the implication there is krishna because you have appeared here you have made vraja fortunate so fortunate that even the goddess of fortune has come to stay over here so when you have made vraja so fortunate how can you make us so unfortunate by depriving us of your association and that is all the more inappropriate because we are not living in raja just for our own purposes our whole life is devoted to you so how can you make us so unfortunate you cannot krishna therefore please come back like that each verse is actually a call for krishna to return krishna <clears throat> we know that you are not the son of yashoda you are the actually nakalu gopika nandano bhavan akhila dehi nam antaratmadruk we understand that you are the indwelling super soul residing in all hearts and sakha udeivan satvatam kule that lord who is within you have now appeared in the satvata dynasty and it says further that that for bajasake so they so uh, <coughs> are saying that you <coughs> so they are saying that each of these lines saying yeah we know you are not the son of yashoda you are the super soul the implication is if you are the super soul khila dehi naam antarat madruk then actually you can see what is in our hearts we are not proud we long for your association we cannot live without you therefore please come back he says that you know this material world is filled with people who are turned away from me but you have descended to this material world to care for those people at the prayer of brahma ji therefore we are also a part of the material world so please care for us and come back please don't let us die that we are your friend is krishna we are women and you are born in the kshatriya family 
please protect us, please come back. So each of these prayers is an indirect way of calling Krishna back. And within that, this particular verse seems to be somewhat inappropriate. In the sense that it just seems off. Okay, what is going on here? Why are they saying that suddenly seem to be glorifying Krishna Katha? So, what is going on here? The gopis are feeling utterly desolate in separation from Krishna. And at the same time, while being separated from him, as the gopis are hearing each other speak about Krishna, they are feeling Krishna's presence in his absence through Krishna Katha. That is, each of the gopis is singing something about Krishna, speaking something about Krishna. They are not just calling Krishna back. They are describing some attributes of Krishna and using that glorification of Krishna to intensify their call for Krishna. So at one level, the gopis are responding to Krishna. You thought we became proud, we thought each of us was special. No. We understand. Each gopi is saying, every other gopi here is a great soul. Because the gopis are running around in the forest of Vrindavan and they are speaking about Krishna. You know, the previous chapter is the gopis just go mad in love for Krishna. They're speaking with everyone. They're asking the trees, they're asking the tulsi, they're asking the birds, where is Krishna? So, as each of the gopis is speaking for, about Krishna, that is providing relief to the afflicted hearts of all other gopis. So that is the meaning of that verse in that context. We are not proud, we appreciate you. Every other gopi is a great soul. The, go, go, the gopi is speaking in the, this, is not saying I am a great soul, but those who speak about Krishna are great schools. But then, the previous verse was Madhuraya Giraval Guvakya. That Krishna, when we hear your words, then that even the wise are bewildered by the sweet words that you speak. So Krishna, your words are the elixir of life. So you please come and you speak to us. There are words about you, Prabhupada. The Bhagavad is two things, words about Krishna and words by Krishna. It says your words are relieving us of this affliction that has come from the separation from you. Tapta jivanam. That tapta jivanam, they are the gopis are feeling tapta, they're burning because they're separated from Krishna. Now we had so they're saying, but Krishna, you come and you speak words. If you are angry with us, you come and express your anger. But don't abandon us, don't reject us. So they're fervently calling out to Krishna. And while they're doing this, the, many of the verses in the Bhagavatam they apply at various levels. Like we have the Atmaram verse, which Prabhupada, which Prabhupada commented and Mahaprabhu interpreted in dozens of ways. So 64 interpretation, that's a whole chapter in the Chaitanya So this verse, of course, applies at the level of us conditioned souls. That it is material existence that fills us with the fire. The fire can be either the fire of craving or the fire of lamenting. We crave for things we don't have that keeps us tormented. And we lament for the things which we have lost, things that have not worked out. And in that way, tapta jivanam. 
tava kathamritam so normally if there is fire if somebody is a firefighter you will put water to extinguish fire but this fire that is inside it cannot be extinguished by any water we need nectar for extinguishing it and that nectar is tava kathamritam so this also applies to all those great souls who bhuvi grinanti ye bhuri dajanaha who travel across the world and they share krishna katha and they extinguish the fire now the souls in this world are not aware that this fire what is the cause of that fire everybody starts feeling sooner or later that well i'm dissatisfied and sometimes not just dissatisfied we start feeling frustrated when th- big things go wrong in our life but we often think okay this person did this to me or this went wrong we all think that there are certain circumstantial causes to our distress and yes those causes may be there but beyond that there's the nature of existence itself and we need to raise our consciousness upward so we don't understand that but the great souls understand it so kavi bhiriditam the wise kavi bhi they transmitted kavi bhiriditam kalma shapaham and what does they do kalmasha here means anything that misdirects our consciousness from krishna kalmasha apaham it is destroyed and shravana mangalam shrimadatatam when we hear there is auspiciousness that comes in how shrimadatatam it's filled with great power atatam and it's transmitted by the great sages iditam is worship <coughs> it's worshiped and transmitted so the idea is krishna is right there with us next to us in our own heart krishna is here we are here but bahirmukha we are turned away from krishna and our consciousness is being caught and dragged toward worldly things so krishna katha does two things kalma shapaham means the forces that are dragging our consciousness away from krishna those forces get minimized those forces get eliminated kalmashapaham and along with so this could be this could be greed this could be jealousy this could be anger this could be craving all these forces they just get destroyed and this is actually the theme which will come at the end of the gopi gita also when what is the falashruti of hearing the bhagavad gita gopi gita i said that that kama is destroyed from the heart but it's not just that shrimadatatam oh if a <coughs> see if a car is moving at a high speed and maybe the driver is drunk or the driver is unconscious and the driver doesn't realize that it's just coming close to a cliff and will fall off the cliff and it will disaster so we need to not just stop the car from going off the cliff we need to just stop the car and reverse its direction Mm-hmm. so sometimes there are maybe superhero movie superman just descends and the car is going and just comes down and uses a super actual power and pushes the car backwards so krishna katha is like that ultimate super power it not only stops or removes the forces so if if say the mountain slide is like this so there's gravity which is just pulling the car downwards so it's not only krishna katha not only removes the forces that are dragging our consciousness toward worldly things toward worldly pleasures but krishna katha in a sense changes the momentum of the car of our consciousness that's why it's extraordinary power 
against the pull of the world, against the gravity, just like the gravity drags everything down in the world, we could say there is a gravity in the material world which drags our consciousness towards worldly objects. But Krishna Katha counters that. And that is how it is packed with power. Shri Madhatatam. And our consciousness becomes attracted towards Krishna. So the same consciousness that is going rapidly towards worldly things then starts moving towards Krishna. And that is the power of the great souls. To become transmitters of this power. So, and but the foremost among such souls who transmitted the power of Krishna Katha was Srila Prabhupada. Now, Srila Prabhupada, <coughs> his genius, we can understand it in different ways. Now, we may say, okay, he is founded the movement that's we are, that we are a part of. And that's why we will naturally glorify him. Well, yes, that is true. But it is not just some sectarian group uh, praising its own that sex leader. What Srila Prabhupada did can be appreciated both in specific terms as well as in universal terms. So we'll try to understand uh, Krishna Katha was eternally existing and it is eternally going to exist. But the power of Krishna Katha is manifested through the right instruments. It is not that anybody who speaks Krishna Katha will automatically have this effect. We can say, yes, at one level Krishna Katha has power. Yes, but Krishna's message has to be presented in an appropriate way. And that has two aspects to it. We often say purity is the force. But we often think of purity only in you know that I have no desire other than the desire to serve Krishna. But that's not the only aspect of purity. See, purity is if I am a soul over here, this is Krishna, and I am transmitting Krishna Katha. So purity has two aspects to it. One is that I have no desire other than to serve Krishna. And the other is I have no desire other than to benefit the person I am speaking to. Sometimes we may be speaking about Krishna, but our thinking is, oh, this person should become a devotee through me. And therefore, that will give credit to me. This person should listen to me. And that is the motive. Then what happens is, that also becomes an impurity. So, it, we need to understand, connect with Krishna. That is our purity which is required. But to connect with the world, we need sensitivity. We need to be aware of where people are coming from. What is the opening in their consciousness? through which Krishna can be brought into them. And that is where expertise is required. There are many, there are not many, few as compared to the material world, but there are, many, there are souls who are connected with Krishna. But not all souls who are connected with Krishna are able to connect others with Krishna. Because that requires not just that purity in terms of one's connection with Krishna, but sensitivity, okay, to understand Sensitivity doesn't just mean speaking softly. That's not what I mean. Sensitivity means awareness of where a person is coming from. What is their understanding? What are their conceptions? And how can Krishna Bhakti be shared with them? So I'll talk about this aspect of Srila Prabhupada's expertise in connecting, in, in making 
Krishna's message accessible to people. <clears throat> so I'll talk about it both in uh, more universal or global terms and then in individual terms also. There's another verse which talks about the potency of Krishna Katha right in the beginning of the Bhagavatam. Yasyam Vaishruyamanayam Krishna Paramapurushe Bhaktirutpadite Pumsam Shokamohabhayapaha this verse comes in the seventh chapter of the first canto of Srimad Bhagavatam. And Yasyam Vaishruyamanayam. When we hear about Krishna, Krishna Paramapurushe. When we hear about him, Bhaktir Utpadyate Pumsam. Bhakti is manifested in the heart. And what does that do? Shok Moha Bhaya Apaha. Shoka is lamentation, Moha is illusion. Bhaya is fear. All these three are removed. So this verse, Jiva Goswami explains, is one of the foundational verses of the Bhagavatam. Uh, 1.4 to 6, these three chapters are the discussion between Narada Muni and Vyasadeva. And then during that discussion, Narada Muni tells Vyasadeva, Samadhina Anusmanam Chitam. He says that you go into Samadhi and remember the pastimes of the Lord and then describe those pastimes. Samadhina Anusmara. So that is exactly what Vyasadeva does in the start of the seventh chapter. He sits down in meditation and he, and he gets a vision. And that vision is described in five verses. That vision is the genesis of the Srimad Bhagavatam. And um, he sees how all living beings are caught in material existence and they are the way out of material existence is through hearing Krishna Katha. The reservoir of Shri Krishna Katha will be Srimad Bhagavatam. And therefore, he, Anarthopa Samam Shakshad, talks about how Bhagavatam will be composed. So this verse says that when we are in material existence, we are we encounter Prabhupada explains in his purport to this verse that we encounter three phases of time. In the past present and future. And at the material level of consciousness, our consciousness gets caught in one of these. And shoka, moha, bhaya, these three emotions are associated with these three phases of time. That we look at the past and we feel, oh, that went wrong and this went wrong and I did this and I did that shoka. There is lamentation. That for the future, we can say there is craving, but also there is fearing. Oh, this may go wrong, that may go wrong, that may go wrong, that is bhai. And there is, for the present, there is moha. Now it's interesting, when I say moha, illusion is there always. But why specifically about the present? Because the idea is, we get consumed by, okay, this is my problem, and this is how I have to solve it. This is my desire, and this is how I need to fulfill it. And that way we get consumed. So what we think will make our situation better is often led by illusion. So that, that's why for the present it is said moha. So shoka, moha and bhaya. And all these three says Krishna Katha will remove. Now how does it remove this? We understand that Krishna is in charge of the past or Krishna was in charge of the past, Krishna is in charge of the present and Krishna will be in charge of the future. And if we just try to connect with him, if you just try to serve him, then 
Krishna will take care of all three phases of time. Krishna will bring the best out of all of that. So Krishna Katha is not just hearing some entertaining pastimes and forgetting about the world. It, sometimes, especially if people hear 10th canto, uh, they, they say, you know, this, is, this seems to be like mythology. You know, there's some entertaining stories. Nowadays, as, you know, in the pandemic, everything was shut down. So one of the industries that surged the most was the escapist entertainment industry. You know, Netflix and others, just the business zoom because people had nothing to do. So people think that this is just like escapist entertainment. Well, yes and no. Now, this is the material level of reality. Now, above this is the spiritual level. Below this is, you could say, the virtual or the imaginary level. So we escape from the material world, but where are we escaping? Are we escaping to an imaginary world or are we escaping to the eternal real world? So this is a higher reality that we go towards. But to go towards that, it is not just Krishna Katha, it is Krishna Katha presented expertly. Krishna Katha was there before the Srimad Bhagavatam also. But what Vyasadeva did was, he presented it expertly. The Bhagavatam was there before also. What Srila Prabhupada did was, he presented it expertly. Daksha, that expertise is one of the characteristics of a great, great soul. So, this is talked about in the Bhagavad Gita also. And it's also Dr. Chaitanya Charitamrita. So basically, let's look at these three phases of time and see how Prabhupada approached these three phases of time in his expert presentation of Krishna Bhakti and how we can uh, uh, take that approach ourselves. So generally, we can say there are three kinds of people. There are traditionalists, there are existentialists, and there are utopianists. So traditionalists, they say everything in the past was so wonderful. And they just compare the past with the present. They say the present is so deplorable. So at best, they are filled with emotions and nostalgia. And the past was so wonderful. past was so wonderful. At worst, they can just be filled with complete condemnation of the present. So now, Srila Prabhupada was, so that's traditionalist. Existentialists, are those like the word existentialist has many different meanings, but from a philosophical perspective, existentialism means that actually the meaning of existence is unknowable. Therefore, all you can do is stop asking philosophical questions and just live the best way you can. So, at a practical level, this leads to the just live in the present. So, we'll talk about little. So, this is existentialism. They focus on the present. Yeah, we don't forget the past, forget the future. Just focus on the present. That's philosophical existentialism. And utopianists are those who think that, you know, the future is going to be wonderful. They may all have particular ideologies. You know, you follow this particular philosophy, you, you live in this way, you can live in this way. But, yeah, the past was bad, the present is bad, but the future will be wonderful. Hmm? Those are the utopianists. So now, Srila Prabhupada, Prabhupada was, was, he was not living for the past. He was not living for the present. He was not living for the future. Prabhupada was living for Krishna. So Prabhupada was neither a traditionalist, nor an existentialist, nor a utopianist. He was a transcendentalist. And as a transcendentalist, Prabhupada was Saragrahi. Saragrahi is the essence seeker. So as contrasted with that, what is the opposite? Bharavahi. 
भारवाही भक्तिनाथ ठाकुर सेज इज अ बर्डन कॅरियर सो द बर्डन कॅरियर्स आर दोज हू जस्ट आर बर्डन दे कुड बी बर्डन बाय द पास्ट ओ आय डेड सो मेनी बॅड थिंग्स पीपल डेड सो मेनी बॅड थिंग्स द पास्ट इज टेरेबल और दे कुड सेज द पास्ट वॉज सो वंडरफुल बट इज ऑल लॉस्ट दे कॅन से द प्रेझेंट इज सो टेरेबल दिस इज बॅड दिस इज बॅड दिस इज बॅड अँड दे बर्डन दमसेल्स और दिस ए द फ्युचर नो देर आर पीपल हू आर अलार्मिस्ट्स you know we are going to run out of fuel we are going to this is going to happen that is going to happen this is going to happen you know that that the world is going to come to an end this has been propagated since the beginning of time <laughs> so they just they are just burdened by the future you know there are there is the christianity is a very big thing that when christian organization which has which has predicted the end of the world 21 times till now and each time it doesn't happen instead of being embarrassed they say jesus is merciful is giving you one more chance take it now <laughs> so so if we just focus on the negatives of everything we can burden ourselves and that is that makes a person bharavahi a burden carrier so essence seeker is one who sees the good good here means that which is utilizable in krishna bhakti from the past the present and the future so so when i talk about prabhupad's as a expert prabhupad expert sensitive in transmitting krishna katha what he means is that we look at that expertise we all have a past we are in the present and we all will have a future so krishna consciousness has to be presented in a way that accommodates our past we have come from a particular past we cannot just deny that so we have come from a particular past krishna consciousness has to in- integrate in our life in a way that our past gets positively reconciled and then krishna consciousness affects our future present and takes us towards helps us create a better future so that is the expertise of a devotee who is trying to share krishna bhakti so let's see how prabhupad did that so basically every soul is going on a journey we can say every soul is going on a journey toward krishna yes but every soul has an individual journey toward krishna and if a soul is going this way toward krishna because suddenly drag the soul from here and you come here and go this way toward krishna the soul has a past and that past has to be accepted and within that say we say we are all trying to climb up a mountain so if i i am climbing up the mountain from this way but somebody else may be climbing up the mountain from that way maybe they are two third of the way up the mountain at that time i can't there are i can't just you tell them you know this is the way to go up the mountain so i'll pull you down from there you come down here and start all the way from this no we understand where you are and from there how we can take you forward so this happens this applies at an individual level and this also applies at a collective level so we could say among these three things traditionalist existentialist and utopianist we could say prabhupada was a traditionalist well yes and no so when we talk about essence seeker see there is good in everything prabhupad would quote chanakya pandit that we can take good even from a like a filth a gold even from a filthy place so like that there is good everywhere in the present the past present and future so prabhupad was definitely a traditionalist in the sense that prabhupad recognized that in our infatuation with progress with the material progress we 
have started looking at the past with derision, with condemnation. And we have cut ourselves off from much of the treasure trove of wisdom that is available in the past. And that's why Prabhupada commented extensively on the spiritual texts which were written in the past. But Prabhupada didn't think of the Bhagavatam as simply uh, something which was meant for the past. He saw that it was timeless. Yes, it was lived in the past. More, lived more frequently by people in the past in India. But he, is, he understood that this was timeless. And that's why Prabhupada's focus was not on turning back the clock. See, traditionalists, their solution to the problems of life is just turn back the clock. If we all could live the way we lived in the past, then everything would be wonderful. So, this, if, there is, if traditionalism is taken to an extreme, that leads to fanaticism. That leads to an extremism. Because time has its own flow. We can't, we can't counter that. And every spiritual teacher, every religious tradition has to recognize that the reality of today is not the same as the way the tradition was lived in the past or when it originated. If you consider, say, this uh, extremist organization, ISIS, they had this, uh, what they did was, their idea is to live faithfully. According to Islamic teachings is, we have to live the way people lived in the 7th century. And that's why when they would, uh, uh, they will try kill their enemies, they'll put them in a cage and burn them alive. But then they will shoot that on a smartphone and transmit it everywhere. <laughs> so, nobody can turn the clock back. So, so the spiritual growth is not so much about turning the clock back as turning the compass on. What is the compass over here is? Every soul has the innate potential to love Krishna. And the compass is, the soul is longing for something higher. Ultimately the highest reality. And right now our compass is misdirected. Maybe directed towards so many things. So we may think wealth is the highest thing, beauty is the highest thing, fame is the highest thing. And we are all pursuing those things. So turning the compass on means our compass gets directed toward Krishna. So Srila Prabhupada, he drew from the Vedic texts, he commented on the Vedic texts, but at the same time, Prabhupada was not focused on turning the clock back. So, for example, one way in which the past and the present are different is through science and technology. And Prabhupada didn't condemn technology or science or technology rejected. He, he critiqued if these were used to propagate atheism. But he said that these can also be used in Krishna's service. In fact, Prabhupada uh, pioneered the principle of Yukta Vairagya. That everything can be used. So the good from the present can be used for propagating, for connecting with the transcendent. So that was Prabhupada uh, talked about the East, uh, East-West synthesis. You know, he talked about that how the East is, is, this, is spirituality of India and the West is the technology of the West. So they are like the blind man and the lame man. The lame man and the blind man. They both can come together and they can change the world. It's like The lame man can be carried by the blind man and the blind man can show the way. And both can move forward. 
So when Prabhupada compared the West to a blind man, it was not a put down. He's just saying that uh, it is not a self, that I am from India, so India is good, the West is bad. No, where the West also spirituality was there everywhere in the world, but in its infatuation material progress, even the West has lost its spiritual moorings. So in that sense, Prabhupada called it a blind man. And what is significant is, when Prabhupada compared India to a lame man, what he meant was that through centuries of uh, foreign exploit, subjugation exploitation, India had not only lost its material prosperity, but had also lost its confidence about its spirituality. And because of that, we had become incapable of both material and spiritual growth. So lame person cannot go anywhere. So in this, we often talk about this metaphor, but the point is, in this metaphor, it may seem that, oh, India is better and the West is lesser. We are going to guide. But no, Prabhupada talked about synthesis. So the way Prabhupada said the world will change is he did not say the lame man will develop legs and will move forward. He's not saying the India of today has to be changed back to the idyllic India of the some utopian past or some past. He did not say the world has to change back to the way the India India was in the past. So Prabhupada was pragmatic. Prabhupada recognized that we take the good from the past. But that does not mean everything from the past can be taken today. The two reasons, because it may not be practical. And second is, it is not that, see, we sometimes have the idea that if we consider, if we romanticize the past, you now everything in the past was wonderful. Well, not necessarily. Everything traditional is not spiritual. Even there were deviations within the tradition. For example, within the Indian tradition itself, the caste by birth, the idea of caste system was a deviation. And Prabhupada did not accept that. Prabhupada opened the doors of spirituality for everyone. One of my friends, uh, he had, we were in Mayapur once for the, <coughs> for a, no, we had Jagannath Puri for a Thyatra festival and that it suddenly rains, heavy rain started coming in. So, you know, we went and wherever we could find some shelter, we were found, we were waiting for the rains to get over. So one of the devotees, at that time he had, he went to a building that happened to be Gaudiya Mutt. He was one of my friends. So there he saw that everybody was eating and some sannyasi came over there. And then that sannyasi was about to take prasad. So he went and asked, no, can, I, can I serve some prasad? Then they asked him, are you initiated? He said, no. He says, you know, if you are not initiated, you cannot serve prasad to a sannyasi. Now that is their standard of what they call as consider purity. Now if you consider Srila Prabhupada, what to speak of accepting prasad from somebody who is non-initiated? Prabhupada was served prasad to those who are initiated. Not only served prasad, he washed their plates. This is from a puritanical perspective. Puritanical means purity is emphasized or overemphasized even at the cost of others' humanity. So when Prabhupada came back to India, there was, uh, he came like he had been he lived in Vrindavan for some time. And he, when he brought several of his, uh, two bus, two or three busfuls of devotees from the West, from America and UK to India, it was a great moment for Vrindavan. Now, for the Vrajivasis, Prabhupada had been like their hometown Swami. Hmm? So it's like if somebody is living in a small village, and from there some there's some young student who goes and uh, becomes who becomes a, maybe a cricket champion or a, some he becomes like some type of hero. 
and they come back then it's like a victory tour everybody in the village is happy our our, our person has become so great so for the brajwasis it was like that you know our swami has become so great he has got foreign disciples now hmm? so now the the at that time the uh, the government of vrindavan itself the the uh, the panchayat that was there they arranged not now mathura the they arranged a grand celebration to welcome prabhupada and they asked other spiritual leaders also to come over there uh, other spiritual leaders so one so they all came now many of them were genuinely appreciative but not all of them were so one of them said yes swamiji has uh, has made all these western people into devotees that's that's great he says swamiji was a businessman in the past so because he was a businessman he he interacted with all kinds of people he says as far as we are concerned you know we have been we were sanyasis from our childhood you know we don't interact with uh, low class people like this so it is like there is damning by faint praise you're praising like if some you go somebody invites us to uh, you know somebody invites us to have their house for prasad and they ask how was the prasad it was edible <laughs> now it is not a criticism but it is a criticism isn't it <laughs> <laughs> so edible is like the lowest level that prasad should be is it <laughs> so there is damning by faint praise so this is like that but what happens is prabhupad pro, pro, is it that it was not because prabhupad had been the businessman that he was able to interact with all kinds of people it was because prabhupad was compassionate it was because prabhupad he did not stick to traditional standards of purity when it came to sharing krishna's message if prabhupad had been looking for disqualifications he could have seen so many disqualifications in the people who came to him in the west at that time the hippies they actually if you look at western western cultural history the hippies were a particular phenomena and it was not widespread the counterculture was widespread when the counterculture the hippies were a relatively small denomination but their 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 influence was widespread because that was so radically opposed to what people thought the west would be so in one sense that people from india they those who are traditionally they consider the west to be degraded but the hippies were considered degraded even by the west and prabhupad embraced them prabhupad accepted them prabhupad didn't see everything that was materially wrong prabhupad saw the one thing that was spiritually right that is they were interested they were inquisitive and prabhupad focused on that so prabhupad could have seen all the elaborate structure of social standards and ritual purity that was there in the past in india because none of these fit into it but prabhupad looked at the tradition and all the social standards and the ritual purity all that is meant for one purpose that is to fan the spark of brahma jigyasa the spark of brahma jigyasa needs to be fanned till it becomes the flame of krishna prem and everything else the social structure the ritual structure all that is there is meant for that purpose so the social structure and the ritual systems sometimes they may not be replicable sometimes people may not be 
not be able to follow those things. From those perspectives, people may be, seem to be disqualified. But that spark of spiritual interest is there. That is what Prabhupada appreciated. So Prabhupada is a traditionalist in the sense that he took a spiritual wisdom that was widespread in the past. But Prabhupada was not a traditionalist in the sense that he did not try to replicate all the social structures and ritual systems. He took from those what were suitable, what were doable, those practices, and he presented them. And that's how he was saragrahi with respect to the tradition. Now this could itself be a big subject, but the point is that Prabhupada, Prabhupada was able to attract people and transform people. And that was because what he gave was challenging, but it was not forbidding, it was not impossible. It was inspiringly challenging. And there are different kinds of challenges. Some challenges are, they seem so difficult, why should I do it? I can't do it. But sometimes, yes, it's difficult, but you can do it, you can grow. So Prabhupada tapped the adventurous spirit within his followers. And although some of the standards were difficult, but he inspired them. So that was Shri Prabhupada's expertise. So he was a transcendentalist who drew from the tradition to present, uh, to transform people in the present. Then that is the past. Now for all of us also, you know, we can look at our past, we can, and we can say, oh, you know, I had done this in the past, I have this conditioning for the past. Or we can look at people, you know, people have so many conditionings today. And we can just become negative. Some of us may feel, oh, I came so late to Krishna Bhakti. If I had come younger, if I had born in Krishna Bhakti, that would have been so good. Well, okay, all that is fine to think about. But ultimately, we need to know that uh, Krishna has a plan for our life. And whatever might be our past, Krishna can use that past to propel us forward in the present. So, if we are to be Krishna conscious, we need to make at least, we need to at least make peace with our past. We cannot be resenting it, lamenting it. Yeah, there may be many things which are wrong, many things which we did wrong. But above what we wrong, what we did wrong, or what other what wrongs other did to us. Krishna's plan is working. So make peace with the past. And not just make peace with the past, then we can seek what is good in the past. So we are, all have learned certain things from our past. Some wisdom we have learned, some experience we have, some expertise we have. We take that past and we build our bhakti using that past. That's what Srila Prabhupada did in the outreach, that's what we can do. Then we come to the present. So those who focus only on the present, what are they called? You will remember? Existentialists. So, existentialists have this mantra, live in the present. Well, at one level, it, it's good, it makes sense. You know, we, can get, we can get caught in the past, we can get caught, caught in the future. That, in that sense, it is fine. But, you know, it's, we live in the present, but we live for something bigger than the present. If you only live in the present, suppose somebody is terribly sick. In the present, the only sensation they have is pain. You tell them, live in the present. <laughs> say, I, don't, I don't want to live only then, isn't it? So, we human beings long for something bigger than what the present offers us. At the same time, when you say live in the present, means say somebody is sick. They need to have the hope that there's some treatment which will make me better. 
which will help me move forward. But at the same time, that treatment has to begin from the present. I cannot imagine my health is great. Okay, I'm at this level of recovery. From here, I can move forward. So we need to accept the present. But at the same time, we cannot restrict ourselves to the present. So same way what Srila Prabhupada did. When he uh, went to the West, if you see, before that, his present was quite, uh, from the material perspective, insignificant. Prabhupada had tried for 30-40 years to share Krishna Bhakti. And he had nothing to show as a track record. Now, For us as devotees, if we have been serving in a particular place, maybe we are doing preaching, maybe we are doing pujari service, we are doing some organizations, some management, then somehow we are transferred to some other place. We have, we have to go to, because of our job, family obligation, to some other place. Then at one level, we you know, none of the services that we have done, we are going to carry them to the next place. So we are starting from, we could say scratch, but it's not, not a scratch, because we have all that experience, we all have that, that we have that wisdom. And if you are a part of the same movement, that what is going Oh, you are doing this service in the past, and now you can take a. If you are doing leading a bhakti viksha, now you can also start. You can start some bhakti viksha over here. Oh, you are doing pujari services. You can you can take up the pujari service here. So we build on our past, wherever we are. Uh, but from Prabhupada's perspective, you now he had been preaching for so long, been trying for 30, 40 years since he met Sri Lopra Bhakti Dhanu in 1922. But at the end of it, when he went to America. What did he have to show for it? He didn't have any followers, he did not have any institutional support. He had dedicated, his, his, his hope had been that he would be able to earn a lot of money and give a lot of Lakshmi to his Guru's mission. But what to speak of giving Lakshmi to his Guru's mission? He didn't have much Lakshmi even for his own mission, what he was trying to do. So he had nothing. But Prabhupada had what he needed. That was the Srimad Bhagavatam. 1962-63-64 each of those years, Shri Prabhupada worked extremely hard and published one one volume of the Bhagavatam. At that time, the first canto was published in three volumes. And when Prabhupada completed that three cantos or three volumes of the first canto of Srimad Bhagavatam, at that time he felt, now I have the spiritual resources to go to the West. And Krishna arranged at that time. So, Prabhupada would be, generally speaking, what happens is, our past affects our present. And gen, say, when a person is, is, somebody is a small child, you know, that's just going, what do you want to be in the future? You know, our ambitions are lofty, you know, I want to be the president of America. I want to be the next Nobel laureate scientist. I want to be this. I want to be the world's greatest cricket player. As we keep growing up, growing up, we start realizing life is so tough. And as life keeps beating us down, beating us down, now by the time we graduate, it'll be nice if I get a job. <laughs> so, generally, life's setbacks and failures, they sort of beat our ambition down. Hmm? Yes, we could say we are all unrealistic at times and we need to be realistic. But, Srila Prabhupada, he was not just focused on material realism. We could say Prabhupada had tried so many things. Prabhupada had tried to start a magazine back to Godhead, but there are hardly any takers. Prabhupada tried to start the League of Devotees. The very place he was there, he was almost evicted from there. Prabhupada tried to work with his godbrothers. 
and they had a very parochial vision. They didn't want him to expand at all. Prabhupada tried to himself travel and give classes, but Indians at that time seemed too pi more pious than spiritual. So almost everything he had tried had failed. But Prabhupada's vision, his ambition, instead of shrinking, it expanded. He had no success in India. And he said, I'll go to the West and I'll preach in the West. It's like from a material perspective, a student, if you want to say, the student has not even able to pass high school. He says, I'll get a PhD from Harvard. He says, what are you thinking? He, Prabhupada was met with that kind of skepticism when he said, I want to go to the West. Most people didn't take him seriously. So although Prabhupada's present was, we could say, very discouragingly insignificant. But, but Prabhupada did not let himself get reduced by that. He saw that Krishna has a plan. And that's why even when Prabhupada was all alone in America, just walking on the streets over there, he was, he was neither insecure nor bitter. The repeated failure leads to these two things. That insecure, maybe, you know, I don't have what it takes to do things. Maybe I'm not worth it. Or bitter means, we look at all the things that went wrong in our life. There's one atheist philosopher. He was asked, did you believe in hell? He just thought that he's an atheist. Alone. He said, of course I believe in hell. He says, what is hell? Hell is other people. <laughs> so... Some people, if they have bad experiences in relationships, they can just become bitter. But Prabhupada, although from his past, there was so much negative, his present, because he was so insignificant. He was an unknown Swami just walking on the streets of New York. But he was neither insecure nor bitter. Prabhupada had that confidence. He said, there are temples, there are filled with devotees. Only time is separating us from them. Even when Prabhupada was walking on the streets all alone, people who would meet him, now, Hayagriya Prabhu met him on the streets of New York. When we say Prabhupada was an existentialist, what that means is, in what sense was Prabhupada an existentialist? That he accepted the present. He lived in the present in the sense that in the present, whatever resources were available, he would use those resources. So, we know that in New York, around Janmashtri was at 26 2nd Avenue. So, that place which now we, Scon has that and we are, it's like a memorial place for Prabhupada, which we have over there. So, now our devotees are trying to contact, most of the people who lived in 1966 are no longer alive, but those who are still, devotees are contacting them, those who lived in the neighborhood and trying to find out more. So one thing that is, many devotees have found out is that Prabhupada would go for long walks. Now, we could say that as Prabhupada had that habit of walking. Yes, that is true. But Prabhupada would go out for walks for one more purpose. Not just for health, not for recreation certainly. Because for him, that was the way to publicize. When we want to publicize the program, we make pamphlets and we distribute pamphlets and we do you know, social media advertising. Prabhupada had none of the funds for that. But Prabhupada would just, just go out for a walk. And he was an unusual person. Of course, New York at least is, specializes in neglecting the unusual. 
Because <laughs> everybody lose their own life. But still, even among those, Prabhupada was remarkably unusual. And the first serious followers that he got were not people who came for his program. They're people who saw him on the streets. Because there are many serious flaws, we can't judge right now. But the first who became serious at that time, that was Hayagri Prabhu and Kirtanan Maharaj and that whole group, all of them. So what happened? Prabhupada was walking on the streets and Hayagri Prabhu was, he was Howard Wheeler, he was just going along the road and he, they were going to have drugs. That was their way of becoming spiritual. So LSD is a drug, but at that time those people had re-Christian LSD. They said LSD is the league of spiritual discovery. <laughs> so anybody who takes LSD will go, will discover spiritual truth. So he was going to take drugs and he was just going along. He was on one side of the road and he looked and he saw Swamiji over there. Who is this? This strange person is after. And he said, you know, am I already high on drugs? What's happening? <laughs> and then a truck passed by. And he waited and he saw, is that, is that Swamiji still there? If it's a hallucination, it will go away. So that Swamiji was still there. Okay, now he, he had been quite a serious spiritual seeker. And he along with some of his friends had gone to India in search for a guru. But he, he had not been able to find anyone. He said, that, he said that those who seemed to be enlightened didn't know English, so we couldn't communicate with them. And those who knew English didn't seem to be enlightened. <laughs> so he had come back from India disappointed. And then he waited and another lorry passed by. Now he saw, okay, not only that Swamiji is walking, he's stopping and looking at me. So Prabhupada was just walking, lost in his thought, he was looking around. He said, somebody's interested, Prabhupada stopped. And then he, he, he stopped and he saw Prabhupada smiling at him. So then he waited and he crossed across the road. And then he spoke to Prabhupada. Swamiji, are you from India? He said, yes. And you? Prabhupada said, Inna Prabhupada obviously he's not from India. But he said, you? I have visited India. Prabhupada was smiling and talking with him. And I agree with this, 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 this big lorries going back on the road. But Prabhupada seemed to be rooted in something far beyond the Lower East Side. He seemed to be sublimely peaceful, sublimely joyful. Even if Prabhupada, nobody had become a devotee by Prabhupada's preaching, Prabhupada was still happy. Why? Because he was doing the instruction of his spiritual master. So if you see the Markine Bhagavad Dharma song, the first line is, Boro Krupa Kaila Krishna Adhamera Prati. That, Krishna, you've been very merciful to me. How? Now we may say, if, if we ask, if you think about that situation, what is the mercy? I said, Prabhupada is all alone. He has no money. He has no, he has no organizing support. He has, the people whom he, who's going to host them, he doesn't even know them. He doesn't know how they're going to receive him. He has just had, two heart attacks. He had a severe bout of sickness. When he came on the uh, bus, he's, when he's going to land, he doesn't know whether to turn left or right. Or somebody said, where is the mercy? There is no mercy at all. But what is Prabhupada saying? Prabhupada is saying that my spiritual master had given me the instruction to share Krishna Bhakti in the West. Now, in my old age, Krishna has at least given me the opportunity to fulfill that instruction. So I am great Krishna, you are so merciful to me. So Prabhupada had no facility. But there are the difference between opportunity and facility. Prabhupada saw just having that opportunity as mercy. And Prabhupada was grateful for that. So when we say live in the present, like that's the existential philosophy. 
that means that we need to accept our present wherever we are maybe we could do more outreach maybe we could do more service if we had more facilities but we accept the facilities we have right now and we do what we can with what we have so one way we can define surrender that acceptance acceptance is not passive in bhakti we accept what we have and we, when we surrender to krishna means we serve krishna with what we have now do what we can with what we have now that is existentialism in a devotional sense okay right now i'm doing a program and three people have come now prabhupad many of prabhupad's disciples they would say that whether prabhupad was giving a private darshan where five ten people were there or pandal program with 5000 people prabhupad would speak about krishna with the same earnestness yes naturally prabhupad was happy 5000 people would come but prabhupad was concerned about pleasing his guru and krishna and that's why sometimes we may feel that okay my service it's so insignificant does anyone notice also that i'm doing the service who cares well krishna cares and we should also care so that is existentialism prabhupad's head was high in the clouds but his feet never left the ground he was very realistic in terms of taking real steps from where we are to move ahead when shila prabhupad wanted to build big temples mm-hmm. prabhupad had that symbol of what do you call it that metaphor of shooting the rhino now of course the rhino is an endangered species and shooting is considered it's bad that's why when that book was written they changed the name to chasing the rhinos <laughs> not shooting rhinos mm. but prabhupad said that basically that if you try to shoot a rhino at that time in the at least in the american culture british culture hunting was considered like a sport so if you go for shooting a rhino if you don't that nobody will look okay, it's still it's not possible if you do everybody will appreciate you so prabhupad used that metaphor but prabhupad was careful he used that metaphor for the pandal program that the devotees were planning prabhupad said make a pandal for 20000 people he said 20000 people prabhupad in the structure that we have in mumbai when 20 people are not coming how will 20000 people come prabhupad said no, you do it people will come and actually people came that was the biggest program that the devotees had in iskon had in the 1970 in the cross maidan program where many many of iskon's leaders were introduced to prabhupad and krishna at that time his consequent leaders so anyway prabhupad had this grand vision but it was prabhupad was very grounded in reality when prabhupad had to build a temple say for example when to build a grand temple in vandavan in mayapur the first thing prabhupad did was he started mvt you know the temple was being constructed he knew that in that holy place there is no not much possibility for preaching and raising funds so prabhupad said it's not that we will just build it and we'll depend on krishna well depending on krishna also means depending on the intelligence that krishna has given us so prabhupad created a real plan that if we have a nice residential facility for guests to come and stay then as spiritual tourists they will come and stay and from that we will get some revenue so we accept the present and we serve krishna in the present for most of us we may all feel oh my job is so demanding i have so many family responsibilities and this my health is not good i just don't have time to serve krishna well okay it may be true but if we are resenting our present then we are not being krishna conscious 
Krishna's plan is working to a working in our life even in the present. So whatever facility we have, we use that in Krishna's service. Show Krishna our earnestness. And that is what Srila Prabhupada did. So Prabhupada was an existentialist, not in the philosophical sense that we don't look for the meaning and purpose of life because life is meaningless. That is the existentialist philosophy. No, Prabhupada was philosophical. But his philosophy did not disconnect him from reality. He was focused very much on the reality and serve Krishna, accept, in the, accept the present as it is, live in the present, a devotee applies in the sense that whatever little facility I may have for serving Krishna, I will use it wholeheartedly. I will put all, whatever I can in the present in serving Krishna. And that is something we all can learn in our spiritual lives. Let's, even if you have a small service, let's do it wholeheartedly. Now Krishna is never so big that he will not have time to look at a small service. Krishna notices even the smallest service. We know the story of Lord Ram, where the monkeys were bringing big, big mountain, mountain rocks and boulders. But when a squirrel was just bringing a little bit of soil on its back, Lord Ram appreciated even that. That is how a devotee is accepts the present, cherishes the present as an opportunity for serving Krishna. And that brings us to the last part, that is the future. There are those who, the utopianists, I think the future is going to be wonderful. All that we need is just make some changes. So there are now probably the most common brand of utopianism in today's world is 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 technology related. Say that through the advancement of technology, we will create a utopia, and in that utopia, we'll all be happy. So we have this. We have social media is growing, and then this meta, and they say that you don't even have to go and meet people. You know, you can just through. You can be anywhere. You can have experience the world just through technology. Well, are we experiencing the world through technology? Or are we actually experiencing technology through the world? That means our experiences get reduced. So there is, there is a branch of philosophy that is arisen from technology called transhumanism. Transhumanism, they say that actually, at least the starting part of the philosophy is very similar. They say existence is distress. There's old age, there's disease, there's death, and there's birth. Now they don't think rebirth as a problem, they think birth itself as a problem. That means that for them, birth is a problem, the solution is abortion. Hmm? So, now they say that all these problems we'll solve. You know, oh, aging, just wait. Gerontology is advancing and we'll reverse old age. Since death, you know, we'll just find out which genes cause aging in the body. And we'll just turn off that gene. And then you will never grow old after that. So, people make there are such grandiose promises that go on. But at a material level, those there are researchers who are a little more uh, candid and they say that you know, as far as, for example, in the public interest, the Geratology, World Geratology Association put out a notice, they said, we have no technology, mechanism, pills or anything that can reverse, slow or stop the aging process. We can't do that. All that we can do is cover it up. We have wrinkles, we can use some things to just remove the wrinkles for some time. That is all. So the idea that the future is going to be wonderful, 
that is utopianist now we can go to the opposite side and somebody can say hey you know this is kaliyuga you somebody can this world is dukhaleya and on top of that is kaliyuga the future is going to be dreadful and prabhupad could have been all dark and gloomy about that but prabhupad was not you know why because although in the cosmic cycle things may be going downward right now but human consciousness always has the potential to go upwards in fact when the social climate or the cultural climate is going downward krishna actually becomes more merciful and provides more facilities for the elevation of consciousness it's just like if there's a natural disaster the charitable people will always give charity but if there's a natural disaster charitable people will give more charity at that time so like that in kaliyuga krishna actually becomes more merciful and prabhupad focused not on the darkness of kaliyuga but on the mercifulness of krishna and it was because of that 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 hope that the future can be better than the present it is because of that shri prabhupad traveled in his old age all from india to the west to fulfill mahaprabhu's prophecy uh, there are some people who said bharat bhumi te hoila manushya jan that you know prithvi te achhe nagaradigram mahaprabhu said some people said actually at that time you know people didn't know what prithvi was so prithvi meant india only and bhakti sanat thakur preached all over india so the prophecy is already fulfilled don't have to do anything more but no prabhupad had that confidence so prabhupad had that confidence that the future will be better than the present but when prabhupad was asked you know what will determine the future of krishna consciousness movement prabhupad said it depends on the devotees what does it mean it depends on the devotees at one level we can say that it is mahaprabhu's prophecy is going to be fulfilled but it needs devotees to take responsibility the lord acts in the world through human instruments through human instruments that in there have been many great previous acharyas and they were profoundly learned but those previous acharyas are not going to come in the present to preach in the present it is each generation of devotees has to take that responsibility in his generation prabhupad took that responsibility in the subsequent generation prabhupad disciples took that responsibility many people thought that swami ji the bhaktivedanta swami is his 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 group is so otherworldly that is not going to last after him yes there are problems after him, after prabhupad departed but our movement is not only survived it expanded prabhupad had 108 temples now there are at least 600 700 temples across the world and so many other centers which are spreading krishna consciousness in different ways so our movement has shown its resilience and is moving forward so every devotee needs to have that hope and that confidence that the future will be better than the present that actually no matter how dark and materialistic the world becomes there are opportunities for sharing bhakti as prabhupad was quite prescient with respect to that many of the things which have become quite influential in the west say for example veganism has become very widespread in the west if you look at its history it's complex but prabhupad was among the first spiritual teachers who came from the east not just from india but even the buddhist leaders for the first teacher from the india who went to the west and emphasized vegetarianism 
as a spiritually conducive and essential way of living. At that time, people used to think that being a vegetarian means you'll have to live eating vegetables. <laughs> that was their idea. But I, uh, but Prabhupada said, it was such a delight, delightful discovery that Swamiji's knowledge of recipes was as vast as his knowledge of shlokas. <laughs> so, so Prabhupada actually pioneered that and that's spreading across the world. If you look at 1960s, Prabhupada was one of the first persons who talked about simple living and high thinking. And now, not, not simple living, many people might talk about it. Prabhupada talked about it in the context of a spiritually driven, spiritually grounded vision. And now, the environmental conscious movement, that is, environmental consciousness that is spread across the world, that is actually talking about what should the Prabhupada talk about? We need to live close to the land, we need to live more in harmony with nature. So, Srila Prabhupada saw those things and he talked about these things. So, in today's world, even from a perspective of outreach, the, the, the environmental, con environmental movement, the vegan movement, the yoga movement, the mindfulness movement, all these are indicators of sattva rising. All these are indicators that people are looking for something higher. And they, that's where we have opportunities for sharing Krishna Bhakti. And we... If a devotee is not a utopianist in the sense that, in the sense that, oh, the future, all problems will be solved. But in the future, there will be opportunities to share Krishna Bhakti, and there will be better opportunities than what I have in the present. I use my opportunity in the present, and look forward for better opportunities in the future. For ourselves also, we have many conditionings, and you may think I was fighting against those conditionings, and still they seem to be coming back. You know, is this like all my life I have to just keep fighting against those conditionings? Are this ever going to go away? And we may become pessimistic or disheartened about the past. But we need to know that Krishna is with us always. And yes, our conditionings may be strong, but Krishna is stronger. And if we just hold on to Krishna, sometimes we f focus too much on whether I am able to give up my conditionings or not. Instead of focusing on that, we focus on connecting with Krishna. Mm -hmm. If we keep holding on to Krishna, that hold will become stronger and stronger for us. Like we are in an ocean and waves come sometimes. Sometimes if a giant wave comes, we may get swept away. Uh, we can't know what kind of waves will come in the future. But Krishna is like the unshakable anchor. And Mamchayo Vibhicharena Bhakti Yogena Sevate. Sagunan samatityaitan brahma bhuyaya kalpati. In 1426, Gita Krishna says, Just hold on to me, you will go beyond the modes. So, what we do is, Krishna is the anchor. And we try to hold on to Krishna as tightly as we can. By our chanting, by our hearing, by our doing seva, by our coming in satsang. Just learn to hold on to Krishna. If we learn to do that more and more, no matter what wave comes in the future, that we may shake us, that we may sweep us, but if we hold on to the anchor, we will not be completely swept away by that wave. And even if we are swept away, the Krishna is like an anchor that extends throughout the ocean. No matter where we get swept away, Krishna anchor is still there. So, if we just focus on developing the habit of holding on to the Krishna anchor, then we will not be swept away, and even if we are swept away, we will immediately be able to come back and hold on to that anchor. So we focus 
A devotee has always to be driven by that hope, by that faith, by that positivity. That yes, the future will be brighter than the present. Not necessarily in the way that I might expect it, but according to Krishna's plan. Prabhupada, in the later part of his life, he said that the success that he got, it exceeded even his own expectations. So, Krishna has a plan for every one of us. Krishna wants a far better future for us than what we ourselves can envision. And in that sense, a devotee is not a starry-eyed utopianist who just thinks that everything will be wonderful in the future. But a devotee is a utopianist in the sense that everything will be wonderful with Krishna. So let me focus on staying connected with Krishna and no matter what happens in the life and future, with Krishna, everything will be alright. It will be better than alright. Because we will be with Krishna. That, Srila Prabhupada, Tava Kathamrutam Tapta Jeevanam. Prabhupada's shared Krishna Katha. He was not just speaking Krishna Katha, giving one, telling this Krishna pastime and telling that Krishna pastime, that Krishna pastime. Yes, that Prabhupada told Krishna pastimes, but more than the pastimes, what Prabhupada gave was the wisdom of Krishna Bhakti in a way that could address the distresses of life, that could show people how to take the essence from the past, take the essence from the present, and look at the essence in the future. And that was, he was Saragrahi, and by his blessings, you know, today on his auspicious day of his disappearance, we can pray that he bestow his mercy on us, that we can also become essence seekers, and not just essence seekers, but also essence sharers, that we can also carry on that wonderful legacy that he has provided us. According to our small capacity, we take it forward, and we relish the Prabhupada's mercy, and we help others relish that mercy. And through that, that we can, what happens is, this whole consciousness is going towards matter, it stops going towards worldly things, and it starts reversing course, and going towards Krishna. So I'll summarize. I spoke today about how this verse seems to be out of place in the Gopi Gita. There Gopis are praying, Krishna, come back. But what, how is this verse connected with that theme? Krishna, you, if you think we are proud, no, we are not. Those who are speaking about you, they are great souls. So they are gopis appreciating each other. Gopis are speaking about Krishna. But, so, but along with that, at a universal level, those who share Krishna's message, they are great souls because they stop the descent of human consciousness towards self-destruction in material infatuation and they reverse the flow of human consciousness so that it goes towards Krishna. And that requires a special potency. It's not just Krishna Katha. The purity means we connect with Krishna in our hearts. But also, we need to connect with the world in a way that what we are speaking is accessible, intelligible. That's, that's sensitive, that's expertise. And we talk about that expertise of Srila Prabhupada in terms of how we look at the past, present and future. So, with respect to the past, we can have lamentation, shoka. With respect to the present, we may have illusion. And in the future, we may have fear. We can have various negative emotions, but Prabhupada transcended those. Prabhupada was a traditionalist in the sense that he knew that there is much wisdom from the past that could be used today. And he knew that there are practices from the past which could be applied today. But Prabhupada was not a traditionalist in the sense that he didn't try to turn back the clock. His focus was not on simply on recreating the entire social structure or the the entire system of ritual practices. 
His focus was on taking the, looking at the, all those things were meant for fanning the spark of spiritual inquisitiveness, Brahma Jigyasa, and making it into the flame of Krishna Prem. And Prabhupada did what was necessary, what was suitable. Prabhupada did not look at the disqualifications of his audience. He looked at the, the spiritual interest that he had and he fanned that. And so Prabhupada was a transcendentalist who as an essence seeker took what was relevant from the past. Prabhupada was not an existentialist in the sense that he didn't have a say that, okay, just live in the present because we don't have any answer for the meaning and purpose of life. Just make the best life you can in the present. No, Prabhupada taught philosophy. But at the same time, Prabhupada was an existentialist in the sense that he accepted the present. Even when his present was insignificant, uh, he had nothing to show for 30, 40 years of outreach. But still, Prabhupada was not neither bitter nor insecure. He wholeheartedly served Krishna. His, 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 his lack of success did not kill his dreams. In fact, his dreams became bigger. Did he succeed in India? He went to the, wanted to go to the West. And Prabhupada had his head high in the sky, but feet in the ground. So for all of us also, we accept our present. We serve Krishna with what we, do what we can with what we have now. And Prabhupada, was mercy. Prabhupada saw Krishna's mercy in just having the opportunity to come to America, even if he had no facility at that time. That was Prabhupada's positivity that he saw Krishna's mercy, not the inadequacy of his situation. And then lastly, Prabhupada was not a utopianist in the sense that in the future everything will be wonderful. But he didn't see, but neither was he a was a dystopian that's saying that, oh, everything in the future is going to be dreadful because it's Kaliuga, because it's Dukkale or Nietzsche of the world. He saw that human consciousness can move upward. And Krishna's mercy is especially available for raising human consciousness in Kaliuga. And he focused on that. And he, that's what animated him. And then Krishna reciprocated by giving him success far more than what even he had anticipated. So similarly for all of us, in our outreach and in our own inreach, you can say, we accept our past. And we see what is good from the past and not resent whatever conditionings or conditions we might be in. And that's what we do for others. And in our present, even in the small service we are doing, we do it wholeheartedly, knowing that it is significant in Krishna's eyes. And for the future, we don't become disheartened, thinking my conditionings are not going away or I'm not having much opportunities in the world. In the world, there are opportunities for Krishna Bhakti as Sattva is rising in various ways. And if we just hold on to the anchor of Krishna, that is the best protection from whatever future attacks of temptation or tribulation that may come in our life. In that way, a devotee can always be hopeful that with Krishna, my future is going to be wonderful. And in this way, we can all pray to Prabhupada to share, savor his mood of being a essence seeker and share that mood with others. Shri Prabhupada ki. Shri Prabhupada Tirubhava Mahamahotsav ki Gaur Bhakta Vrindna ki Tai Gaur Primanandi Thank you very much. Hare Krishna. Do we have time for maybe one question? Anyone has? Yes, Yagar. Um, Prabhuji, you were talking about <coughs> sharing Krishna consciousness with the others and being able to relate to others. Ours being a movement, Goshti Anandi movement, um, assuming that two, two devotees are there, uh, both 
have studied the scriptures, you know, assuming that two personalities are are almost, you no, know, they have the same level of love and compassion. How come? How how sometimes does it? Do we see that one devotee is able to connect with others' problems, miseries, and give the right messages to those people at the right time, while the other person is not able to do that despite best intentions? How do we improve that ability in a, in us? Okay. So how do we improve our ability to <coughs> say present Krishna Bhakti in an accessible way for people? Hmm. So two things. First is that we need to not just speak to people <coughs> and certainly not speak at people, but we speak with people. Speak with means we hear from them also. Shri Prabhupada went to America. This Sally Agarwal, the person at whose place Prabhupada stayed, stayed Sally and Gopal Agarwal. She recently passed away. So there's some articles about her that had published. So she says one thing very interesting. Swamiji was so interested in everything Western. He says how the vacuum cleaner worked, how the fridge worked, how the subway worked. Now, did Prabhupada go to America to learn how the vacuum cleaner worked? <laughs> no. Prabhupada was trying to understand how the American mind works. And so Prabhupada was observing and learning. So it's important that we also hear from people. It's not that we only hear and we don't speak at all. Sometimes in the name of empathy, you know, we may not give any, any wisdom at all. But when we're hearing, it's not just this happened in the life, that happened in that life. We try to see that how is Krishna acting in this person's life. Right? That if that person has come to meet us, we are interacting with that person right now, that means you know, Krishna has some plan and that's how, uh, that's how they have come to have connection with the devotee now. Uh, even if we say we are not devotees, but we are trying to practice bhakti, we can have the opportunity to share bhakti with others. So yes, so we see, try to see how Krishna is acting in everyone's life. What, what insights has Krishna given to this person? What wisdom has Krishna given? Instead of saying that simply, how they are not acting in relationship with Krishna. Oh, they are eating meat, they are drinking wine, they are doing this, they are doing that. We see how Krishna is acting. And then we try to see, okay, this is how Krishna is doing. How can I assist Krishna in doing that? So if this person has an interest in music, oh, then we can share some spiritual music. This person has an interest in environmental consciousness. Okay, then... We try to offer some, we say Krishna wisdom connect with environmental consciousness or tell them something, some projects about that. So essentially, when we say we hear from others, what it means is, if we try to understand, this is where the consciousness is. So there are, rather than thinking of you know, how can I get Krishna into their consciousness, that's important, but sometimes people are not ready for that direct Krishna into their consciousness. So. What we can do is, uh, we can turn and see how, what is there in their consciousness can be connected with Krishna. <coughs> it's a different approach, but it's an important approach. There are some people who are ready for Krishna and they can just take Krishna into their consciousness. But for others, what is in their consciousness? How can we connect that? How can we bring Krishna, link that with Krishna? So, if we think from that perspective, then 
it's relatively easier to find something and krishna bhakti is very very multifaceted if you look at the stories of how i came to krishna consciousness oh it's uh, extraordinary because every devotee story is quite distinct so that preparation for bhakti that is happening in people's life you can call it preparatory bhakti this it's you could say like pre bhakti it is but that krishna can be preparing for bhakti in many many different ways so for example we may say i talk about drugs and this league of spiritual discovery so yeah drugs are at one level tamasic and we certainly don't recommend taking drugs but for many people when they take drugs and their this psychedelic drugs what i want to do is they give alter the altered states of consciousness they lead to and that's what is people's first experience that maybe what i experience in my day to day life is not the full reality maybe there is more to reality than what i am experiencing in my awake, awake state of consciousness and that opens people to spiritual world views so rather than saying oh this person is doing drugs say, oh this person has that okay then there are higher states of reality there are other states of reality also there so if we think of that krishna is preparing everybody's head and heart for bhakti that is what krishna is doing for everyone then when we are hearing from them observing them that that actually makes us krishna conscious sometimes we think our krishna consciousness means that we see how krishna unconscious everyone is <laughs> you know this person is atheistic this person is materialistic this person is this but but we see that way and then we can find out so it requires patience it requires time but most importantly it requires understanding that krishna is acting in everyone's life so sometimes we say contemporary outreach contemporary outreach we can say it means you know we take krishna's message and present it to the con- uh, in contemporary times but that's only one understanding of contemporary outreach another understanding is krishna is time and whatever is happening is in contemporary times it is krishna acting as time so becoming sensitive in outreach doesn't just mean thinking that okay how can i make krishna's message sensitive uh, sensitively presented to people it is also understanding how krishna is acting through time so when we look at uh, when we look at the world and its events a devotee can look at from krishna conscious way this krishna who is acting in krishna who is teaching the early back to god that prabhupad wrote prabhupad would take newspaper headlines and he would present them from a spiritual perspective so we see krishna acting in the world also that's that's what we can try to do okay thank you so thank you very much shri prabhupad ki gaur bhakta vrind ki tai gaur premanande